Well, welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast here on jconline.com as we run the podcast through soundcloud.com. Here today to preview the Purdue football game against Northwestern at Wrigley Field, which is a unique opportunity for both teams to play in a baseball stadium that once had football all the time, Wrigley Field, if you don't know. Uh, was the home for the Bears for a lot of years before they moved to Soldier Field, probably somewhere in the late 60s and the, the early 70s. Uh, as a Bears fan, I know that stuff, so that's why that's why I related along. But anyway, Purdue's opponent this week, Northwestern, um, you know, they've gotten in this uh, habit of winning the Big Ten West and then not winning the Big Ten West and then winning the Big Ten West and then not winning the Big Ten West. They're in one of those not winning the Big Ten West years right now, and Joining us to talk about uh, what he's seen from the Wildcats this year and what we may see on Saturday is Patrick Andres from the Daily Northwestern. Uh, he's from around Toledo, Ohio. He's studying, studying journalism up there, and always always enjoy talking to these these young people during the Northwestern week because they're the, the they're the ones that cover Northwestern uh, the most and. It's always good to talk to, to students that are getting into the profession and and uh, give them an idea of uh, what may be uh, ahead for them. But just kind of, it's always fun to, to talk with young people that are just starting or getting ready to go in the profession. But Patrick, after that long and boring intro, how you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> doing well. Uh, looking forward to Saturday's game. Uh, looking out over uh, overcast Lake Michigan. Alrighty, so uh, Northwestern three and seven uh, as of now would not be bowl eligible unless the APR score comes into effect, and we all know that they would be at the top of the APR list uh, if if it ever got to that. But anyway, uh, just uh, let's go back to the beginning of the season. Kind of what were the expectations? Obviously, they haven't been fulfilled. Uh, but did you kind of what, what what did you think that you would see from this team this year? Well, there were a lot of the expectations were high after last year. You know, where Northwestern kind of capitalized off a weird season, uh, the pandemic-shortened season, and won the Big Ten West, and they were right there with Ohio State. They were going toe-to-toe in the third and fourth quarter with a chance to maybe win that game, and who knows? Who knows what happens if they win that game? And they end with a Citrus Bowl victory over Auburn, so... Uh, they end their season on a nice note, and there's a lot of optimism going into this year. And there were, and although they they lost a, they lost a lot of talent to the NFL, but it was thought that there was still a lot of pieces in place that could help this team be successful. Uh, but well, it, it certainly hasn't turned out that way. Has it been injuries? Has it just been ineffective play? I think they've. They've also had numerous players go through the quarterback position. How much of all those things have, have factored into to where they're at today? So, yeah, yeah, Mike, it's been a little bit of both injuries and ineffectiveness. So the first blow was right before the season, it was announced that Cam Porter, who was supposed to, he was supposed to be the bell cow at running back, he was ruled out for the season uh, with a lower body injury and he he kind of he kind of emerged as the number one running back late last season. He, uh, he tore up Illinois. He had a couple other big big games, but his loss was for the first blow. And from there, it's been uh, just 
like on, on and off injuries on the offensive line. Uh, Bryce Kurtz, one of the top wide receivers, was lost for the year. Uh, and then the and then the quarterback position, which uh, so the the starting quarterback Hunter Johnson was named the starting quarterback. Once upon a time, he was uh, highly touted prospect to the pair of Justin Fields and Jake Brom, and he really couldn't find a foothold in 2019, his first season. Uh, he dealt with some uh, family family issues. And then uh, in, in 2021, uh, he really wasn't able to, he, he wasn't effective, and so they, they buried in Andrew Marty, a veteran uh, who who is a very, very mobile. He brings he, he brings a different dimension to the offense and with his mobility. His teammates have talked about that. And uh, and Ryan Holinsky, who transferred from South Carolina, has also seen time. It's been kind of a revolving door where uh, it's still the... It's, like sometimes he's pulled the plug in the middle of the game against Wisconsin. He pulled the plug on Marty late in the game. So it's, it's, it's really been an adventure to uh, cover uh, this this team because you really never know who's gonna you really never know who's gonna be out there at the quarterback position and and like in this week I would I would think Marty would be the favorite to start but I, I, you never know. Yeah, Purdue actually recruited Hunter Johnson way back in the day. That would have been another coach ago. Because uh, he 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 came to some camps and he was interested in Purdue at that point, but obviously ended up uh, somewhere else. Uh, and I don't I don't know for sure if he if he looked at Purdue on the rebound once he left. Uh, I think it was Clemson. So, um, but anyway, yeah, they've had they've had some problems at the quarterback position, not getting that position settled. Uh, uh, the the running back or the the, the I, I guess their biggest offensive threat is uh, the the running back right now. Ben Hall is that correct? Yes, Evan Hall definitely been their most consistent offensive player. Why 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 is he kind of emerged as uh, the their their kind of number one offensive threat? Well Hall was well Hall has been around for a while. He's a veteran. And he was on that twenty nineteen team toward the end of the year in twenty nineteen he kinda emerged as the uh Bell Caleb that team and uh like in his uh yeah, career day that year against Massachusetts where he rushed for 220 yards and four touchdowns. In 2020, uh, he kind of, he, there were games where, like I'm looking at his game log and college football reference, and he had an odd 2020 in that he had a three-game stretch where he rushed for zero yards, rushed for 149 yards, and rushed for zero yards against Wisconsin, Illinois, and Ohio State, respectively. But this year, he's kind of pressed in his service, and he's handled it very well. Against Ohio, he had the longest run by Northwestern running back since 1961. He ripped up a 90-yard run. Uh, he had Northwestern's only touchdown against Michigan. This is a guy that, if he gets to the next level, he has the speed. Uh, uh, Pat Fitzgerald has said that he could he could be an All Big Ten he could be an All Big Ten talent because he has the speed and space to break off these long runs. And it's been a matter of. Uh, the offensive line being able to open holes for him, which hasn't always been the case this year, as I mentioned, with the injuries on the line. He's also a pretty good receiver out of the backfield, right? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, he has uh, he had, uh, 89 yards out of the backfield against Iowa, 28 against Duke, 27 against Michigan. So he gives 
Northwestern on the receiving threat. What what kind of passing game has developed this year with all the changes at quarterback? It really it really hasn't been much of a passing game, to be honest. Uh, so Andrew Marty, who's been the starting quarterback uh, recently, he's had a couple couple rough outings. So he's twenty five for forty four against Iowa with a touchdown against three interceptions. Uh, in Wisconsin, a ten for eighteen with no touchdowns and three more interceptions. So the, although he did have two hundred seventy yards against Iowa, so Holinsky definitely brings Northwestern more consistent passing, but he also hasn't been too effective throwing the ball against them. Um, I'm trying to find the game against, uh, but there was a game where, the game where, well, against Minnesota, uh, where where he uh, was benched, he was one for six uh, for five yards, which uh, is not exactly a recipe for winning football in the Big Ten or any league, but uh, it's just been a struggle between, as I mentioned, the wide receiver injuries and the quarterback ineffectiveness and injuries. Uh, to find a consistent foothold in throwing the ball. Usually when Northwestern is struggling on offense, their defense kind of bails them out a whole lot. Uh, but when I look at the numbers that in points and yards and stuff like that that teams have been able to put up against the Wildcats, that doesn't seem to be the case where their their defense is not bailing them out maybe as, as they have in other years. It's a very, very uncharacteristic uh, compared to the identity Northwestern's established under Pat Fitzgerald. It, it more recalls the Northwestern teams in the early 2000s uh, who were in shootouts all the time. But uh, this Northwestern defense, uh, they've struggled in year one uh, after Mike Hankwitz, the longtime defensive coordinator, retired at the end of last season. Uh, they bring in Jim O'Neill from the Las Vegas Raiders, longtime. Uh, NFL assistant and O'Neill's defense hasn't really it, it's really struggled at times it has improved a little bit as the year has gone forward but uh, but, but improvement has meant giving a, giving up 30 points instead of 50 points and probably uh, probably probably maybe the maybe the worst drive they've had all season was uh, against Wisconsin uh, where they missed tackles on where there were four straight Braylon Allen runs where they missed tackles to the point where Alan commented after the game. It looked like they weren't even trying to tackle me. And uh, and uh, uh, Bryce Gallagher was asked about it in uh, the press conference this week. Gallagher, one of the linebackers, and he owned up to, yeah, we're not, we're not getting it done right now. And so it's it's been it's been a worrying to see that kind of. You you, you, you don't think a Northwestern team would struggle so much with those fundamentals, but. That's been the case this year, and it's the reason they've allowed Nebraska to score its most points in a conference game since 2008, and Michigan and Wisconsin also had banner offense. Minnesota also had banner offensive afternoons against Northwestern. So it's definitely not been the same Northwestern defense that we've come to know in recent years. We're visiting with uh, Patrick uh, Andres from the Daily Northwestern, breaking down the Wildcats in, in advance of Saturday's game against uh, Purdue at Wrigley Field. So, I mean, as you look at it, is this just more of an adjustment to a new scheme, a new voice, or is there something else going on there that has led to, you know, kind of where they're at right now? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of it's an adjustment to a new scheme, and uh, it's also there was a, just just such a huge talent drain 
uh, after last year, uh, Greg Newsom is is gone playing for my favorite pro team, the Cleveland Browns. J.R. Pace is gone. Uh, that left huge those huge holes in the secondary. Uh, they lost talent on the defensive line. They lost uh, linebacking talent. So I think it it has to do as as much as adjusting to a no new coach. I think it also has to do with uh, re- reloading after losing all that uh, NFL talent. And uh, I think I think you're you're really seeing the youth the youth this year, with the exception of established veterans like Chris Bergen, who has been around since 2017, is Northwestern's uh, defensive leader. Uh, other other than he and some other veterans, I think a lot of young guys have had to get snaps for this Northwestern defense this year. I think that that's showing these losses. So how are the um, the Wildcats kind of approaching Saturday's game? I mean, it's in Wrigley Field, um, you know, unique setting, something that these players have never done before and will probably never do again. So is there a, is there a level of excitement that, that would not normally accompany a, a three and seven team in week 11 of the college football season? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of buzz from the player, from the players. Um, I, I spoke with a couple of players who are from Illinois this morning. I spoke with Cameron Mitchell, who's from Illinois. I spoke with uh, Charlie Schmidt, who's from Illinois. And, uh, those guys are just—they're just very excited to have that opportunity to play uh, in in that stadium. And I was asking Charlie Schmidt about his uh, and there are Cubs fans, there are White Sox fans, there there are baseball <laughs> fans, and they're 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 just excited to uh, be in. Uh, as Charlie Schmidt told me, one of, it's one of America's most historic sports venues. So as much excitement as you could muster for, like you said, a three and seventeen playing. A home game in November at 11 a.m. Uh, this team, this team has it, and I think there's there's a lot of uh, there a lot there's a lot of thinking that this playing a game like this raises Northwestern's profile, where people will see Northwestern playing in Wrigley Field. Uh, that's that's not not nothing. Uh, playing in a ballpark as historic as Wrigley Field, uh, I think there's a there's a lot of uh, despite this sort of lost season, uh, and people. People think that it fits in well with kind of upward trajectory Northwestern is taken under Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, I mean, there's value in playing this game, even for Purdue to be on this stage, to play Northwestern uh, in that venue because a lot of eyeballs will be just tuned in to see how it looks and and how different it is going to be from 2010 when I hope they don't have to both go the same way uh, on the football field as they did, you know, 11 years ago, but. You know, I, you know, I, I don't think they're going to do that, but I, I hope not. <laughs> do you, nope, it's going to nope, be a n- uh, normal football game, right? <laughs> yes. So, so I, I surveyed the field myself and I went, um, last week, and I went down, took a picture of one end zone, and I went down, took a picture of other end zone, and, and I'm like, all right, these look far away enough from the, that this looks far away enough from the outfield wall that. We'll be able to have a regulation two-way football game, but there will be some uh, logistical uniqueness. Both teams are going to share one sideline, which will make for interesting television. And uh, uh, Fitzgerald said in, the, in his press conference this week that uh, Northwestern will use the Cubs bullpen as a as a locker as a locker room in game. So oh. 
It'll make, make, it'll make for some interesting visuals, but it will not be another 2010 Fiesco. <laughs> well, Jeff Brom had said earlier in the week that he was going to get on a conference call, I think Monday, and figure out some of the logistic things as far as, you know, if you're, if your team is at one end of the field, but you are on the other end of the field because of that's how the sidelines work, you know, how the substitution pattern is going to, going to run. Do you get a little extra time? type of thing so it'll be curious to see how all that kind of kind of works out on saturday now you were telling me beforehand you will not be at the game uh, because of limited space and the protocols of of covid in the state of illinois and with the cubs um just i mean are are disappointed you can't be there in person or kind of what are your thoughts of not being able to cover this event uh, like you've covered yeah, the team you know, the rest I'm of the year. I'm a little disappointed, and I, I don't think it's so much because of COVID protocols, but uh, there's going to be a lot of media there. There's a lot of interest in Chicago and surrounding areas. It's more of a more of a curiosity than anything. But uh, I, uh, but yeah, yeah, I definitely wish I could be there. But uh, like I said, I last week I was able to go with uh, two other of my daily Northwestern colleagues and uh, look at the uh, look at the stadium and walk around on the field, which was pretty surreal it brought back um, some painful memories for me of being a cleveland indian <laughs> slash guardians oh, but, uh, it, oh. was, it was fun to fun to look around and what? take pictures of uh, clark the cub and willie the wildcat throwing passes to each other and uh so and i just think it's going to be very cool uh, for the fans for the writers and, and for the chicagoland area so I'm looking forward to seeing how it looks on television. As a Cub fan, I really don't care about your pain from 2016. <laughs> so, uh, yes. so I'm not going to apologize for winning that World Series. Uh, <laughs> one more question about Northwestern: what, what are what are a couple things in your mind that that need to get fixed in the off season uh, for them to, I guess, get back to where they want to be as far as you know, challenging for the Big Ten West and and obviously getting to a bowl game, what are a couple things that come to mind that, that need to really get addressed uh, before next season? Well, the, quarter, the quarterback position, finding a settled answer at the quarterback position has to be the number one priority. And I think that a lot of a lot of people think Ryan Holinsky is the quarterback of the, the future. And uh, it's the opinion of both myself and my fellow daily writers that Northwestern should probably be starting him, although Marty, although Marty is the more experienced player at Northwestern should probably be starting getting Holinsky reps in these last couple games, but I think. That, but other other than that, I think that this team just needs sort of to get older, to get another off season to kind of gel. And um, I think it's a matter of, uh, as I've alluded to, it's a very, it's been a very youth, youthful team uh, this year. Um, there's they lost a lot of talent from. 2020, and I think that another offseason of adjusting to O'Neill's system and um, breaking in a new ta- new talent, and they're continuing to recruit at a high level um, relative to Northwestern's historical recruiting profile. And I think all those factors uh, could put Northwestern back on the up and up in 2022. I don't know if we're talking about another West Division champion, but. I, I would think that a bowl game would be out of the question for next year if, if Helensky gets settled in and uh, they go get back to their identity and defense. All right, Patrick. So 
Um, you, you're working for the Daily Northwestern. Obviously, you have an interest in journalism. You have an interest in pursuing this as a career. Ultimately, kind of where do you see yourself, you know, five to ten years from now? Are you Do you, do you see yourself cover, try, still trying to cover sports, or are you looking to venture out into some other areas? Well, uh, I'm, I'm flexible, so uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, I'm a sports and uh, I'm definitely a sports omnivore. I could see myself covering baseball, basketball, football, uh, you name it. Uh, I would hope for a newspaper or a website or uh, somewhere like that. Sports Illustrated has always been a, a dream of mine, so I guess that would kind of be my dream gig. Uh, but I'm also definitely, definitely willing to pursue opportunities outside of sports uh, on and different sides of journalism or communication. So... It's a big world, and I'm, I'm looking forward to graduating in June. So, uh, so I'm excited for whatever comes next. Uh, don't don't wish it here too soon. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah, gonna you're gonna you're gonna miss it at some point. That was my yeah. base. That was my question of what are you gonna do when you grow up, basically. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all have to do that at some point and and pursue. But it, it does sound like you got a pretty bright future ahead of you. Um, and I do appreciate you taking time to talk about Northwestern and uh, giving us some insight on uh, what uh, what people may see on Saturday from the Wildcats and also uh, as they face Purdue at, at Wrigley Field. Uh, Patrick Andres from the uh, Daily Northwestern has been our guest today. Patrick, once again, thanks for thanks for talking about Northwestern and uh, obviously best of luck uh, in your future uh, as you as you get going into the the real world. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Once again, we thank Patrick for joining us on the podcast today to preview uh, Saturday's game against Northwestern, and uh, best of luck to him in his future. As far as Saturday's game is concerned, um, you know the defense didn't look good last week, but that I think that I think part of that was, or most of that was, just Ohio State's offense operating at a very very high level, and yeah, Purdue just didn't have an answer for it. Uh, they're not facing an Ohio State type team this week uh, against Northwestern. They've been pretty pedestrian uh, for the most part uh, this year. Uh, they're averaging 10 points a game the last four games. You know, I think Purdue's defense uh, will be able to 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 keep that offense in check. And then, obviously, Purdue's offense is continuing to to operate at a high level. And uh, I I don't think that will slow down a whole lot. The only concern uh, when you look at the past history of the series is that uh, Northwestern has been uh, extremely physical on both sides of the line. Uh, they've controlled games that they've won against Purdue uh, with their defensive front, um, getting pressure uh, and stopping the run, uh, and then playing uh, pretty tight coverage in the secondary. Uh, so Purdue's going to have to still operate at a high level uh, of execution, and they just can't take for granted that everything that happened last week or the week before that will happen again. And that, I think that's uh, something to keep in mind. But it's a game Purdue should win. Um, they're favored by double digits on the road at a neutral site, but still on the road. Um, and Purdue should take care of business. And... Uh, getting these next two games are going to be important from a uh, going into the bowl game perspective of feeling good about what you've done. 
uh, and then getting to a bowl game and winning it. So, I mean, Purdue has a chance to win eight regular season games, a chance to win nine games overall. Um, I think that's uh, significant uh, in a year that uh, most people didn't think that would happen, including myself. And I thought this was, uh, you know, a five, six, maybe seven win team. Uh, when, when the year started, but, uh, to their credit, they've, uh, uh, the defense has really played well for most of the year and that they carried them early in the, in the year, early in the season. And now, uh, the offense has kind of been, has reached a, reached a similar level, uh, where, um, you know, they're, they're operating and now you're playing, uh, kind of a team game where both sides are operating and playing at a high level. Did want to get to a couple questions, uh, couple of these are left over from late October from Mike who uh who wanted to know uh are there any concerns about uh this coaching staff and Brom when it comes to decision making on personnel you know this was uh this would been late October when when this uh question came in so some things have changed but Jack Plummer was their hand picked quarterback uh recruit and has struggled and Brom clearly made a mistake in hiring uh, Diaco uh, when it was clear that uh, there were some red flags with him. Uh, just from a decision-making standpoint, uh, you don't get everyone 100%. You don't get every decision 100%. You know, you're going to make mistakes. Um, you know, with the, the quarterback situation, you know, last year it was O'Connell, then he got hurt, then Jack came in and, and played well the last three games. This year it was Plummer. And, you know, and I said at the beginning of the year that, you know, it was time for Plummer to go out and win the job because he'd been here long enough. He was, you know, Brom's first quarterback recruit and, you know, needed to win this job to, to, to really, you know, uh, show that that was uh, a good decision. Well, I mean, Jack has struggled. I mean, he struggled, uh, in the uh, early part of the season and, you know, a change was made. Um, and it has worked out for the better. Um, but again, you don't get, you don't get everyone right. Uh, you just don't want to get everyone wrong, every every decision wrong. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I I, I see where, you know, you know, the thing the thing that would probably um, cause this question to be asked, in my opinion, would be that you know, Brahm is a quarterback guy. He he played the position. He knows the position. So he should have um, uh, very few misses in this department. Uh, but, uh, there, there have been some misses in this department when it comes to the quarterbacks. Now, some of this is, you know, if you go back through the tenure of, of Jeff being at Purdue, you know, there's been a lot of injuries at the quarterback position. Um, and, and those don't fall on the coach. Uh, when David Bob Blake breaks his ankle or Elijah Sendelar tears his ACL, I mean, that's, that's not on the coach. Those are just things that, that happen. Uh, but from a recruiting perspective, um, it is fair to to question: uh, are, are they getting the best quarterbacks uh, that they can get? Uh, is there another level of quarterback that that uh, that Brom can bring into this program? And is that guy uh, Brady Allen from uh, uh, Gibson Southern? You know, we won't know that uh, for a while, uh, but you know, we don't know if it's Michael Alemo either, uh, who, who's a guy in the program right now that that, that Brom recruited. Um, and we'll see when and if he gets an opportunity, if if uh, um, if that comes to fruition. But uh, saying all that, 
you also have to give Jeff and his brother Brian uh, credit for you know pushing Aiden O'Connell to the point to where he is now. Now, obviously, it's not all coaching and all 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 development. Some of it, uh, a lot of it, is on Aiden's part for his improvement uh, that he's made since he got here. Uh, so it's a it's a give and take. And again, you don't get every decision right. You know, not everyone is per, you know not everyone is perfect in that in that situation. You know, but I think if you know if you're going to look at the you know if you're going to look if you're going to criticize, but you also have to look at what the good things that have happened at the quarterback position uh, as well. And, and when it comes to Diaco, yeah, that was a mistake, and that was a big mistake. Um, and there were enough red flags before that hire that Jeff should not have hired him. And uh, Jeff has admitted that, that he made a mistake in that department, uh, tried to, to fix it as quickly as possible, uh, but not quick enough before this, you know, the 2020 se- season you know, got away from him and got away from everybody. And that was the COVID year. So you do cut some slack, uh, for that, uh, with that season being the way that it was. But, um, you're not going to get every personnel decision right, uh, uh, again. But, uh, yeah, the Diaco of the hire was a, the, was a, was a negative. It was a fiasco. It, it was one that should not have happened. But on the flip side, I would say the four new coaches that he has brought in this year have, have worked out, you know. So again, yes, it's fair to criticize the Diaco hire, but you also have to take into account the the things that have worked at least this year, with um, the hiring of Brad Lambert, uh, Mark Hagan, who I you know I've, I've I've said from day one, and I believe from day one he he was the best hire uh, that that Jeff has has made here. Uh, during his career, that, not just this, this year, but through his through his tenure here at Purdue, Mark Hagan has been the best coaching hire that he has made. And then you had Ron English and his experience, and then James Adams working with the cornerbacks. Um, you know, if you if you firmly believe the defense is better, and I don't I don't think anybody would would argue that, then you have to you have to give credit for uh, for to Jeff for bringing in these four guys to make the defense better. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the, the Diaco thing was, was, was bad, but out of that came this year in an improved defense, uh, a more aggressive defense, a defense that early in the year carried this team, uh, until the offense has, has kind of, uh, straightened, it, straightened itself out. Uh, the other question from Mike was, you know, given the struggles of the offense, and again, this came from late October, uh, do you, uh, foresee a lot of changes on the coaching staff similar to what happened last year with the defense. Um, now, the offense has improved over the last uh, few weeks here, um, but I, I would still, in my opinion, uh, I, I would still make changes on the offensive line uh, f- for for several reasons. Number one, I think you need um, you need a dynamic recruiter. You need a a guy that can go out and identify uh, those high school players that can uh, come in and help you. You know, not immediately because that that usually doesn't happen. But you know, getting more depth in here, getting more talent in here, has to be a priority uh, for the offensive line. You can't, you know, you cannot be last in the Big Ten in rushing. And part of that is offensive line. The other part of it is not having a dynamic running back back there as well. But 
you know, I, I would not be surprised if there are some some changes and adjustments made on the offensive line uh, staff uh, in the off season. Uh, I, I do think Jeff needs to upgrade that position. You know, they've got two people working with the offensive line right now: Dale Williams and Neil Callaway. Uh, you know, I think you, I, I think to me, the best option is investing in one coach. Uh, and giving him the resources from a financial standpoint, uh, and then finding somebody that who's, who's really good in the recruiting game or really good in the, in the portal game as far as, uh, making sure that this offensive line, uh, is improving, uh, and they're able to run the ball effectively. Now you gotta give them credit for protecting O'Connell, and they've done that the last several weeks where they've given him time, uh, and you did, you can't ignore that, that, O'Connell was not sacked against Ohio State. You know that is uh, that's significant, especially from a defensive line that has that had 29 and a half sacks coming into that game. I mean, you just can't ignore it. Um, so there has been improvement from a pass protection standpoint, but I think overall for the future of the program, there needs to be uh, an adjustment, some changes in that position. As far as everywhere everywhere else on the offense, uh, first of all, he's not going to get rid of his brother Brian. Uh, that would be number one, uh, and I doubt that he would make changes uh, at the receiver position or the uh, running back position. Uh, doesn't mean that it shouldn't be looked at, but I, I would seriously doubt that anything would happen in those two. If there's going to be a change um, on the offensive staff, I, I would my I would look to the offensive line first. You know, and if you just have one guy coaching the offensive line, you can bring a tight end coach back into the equation uh, to work with those guys. Um, they seem to be the forgotten group of the offense, uh, and a group that when Jeff first got here emphasized that they're going to throw the ball a lot to the tight end and, uh, they're going to be a big factor in the offense. They have on occasion, but not, I don't think it's been consistent enough. But when you have David Bell, Rondell Moore, Milton Wright, and the, the group of receivers they've had, you've got a, you know, you've got to feed the ball to, to, to the, to the big time playmakers. So the opportunities are, are not, not as great as they were. Uh, you know, the, the offensive line coach question probably is something that was more, uh, probably something more, uh, relevant in midseason, but I, it's still a factor right now. I think, I think that needs to be looked at what direction you go there, uh, and who you, who you can get in from a coach standpoint, but also, uh, what's available uh, to Purdue in the portal, and uh, and you, you need to, they need to start building an offensive line pipeline. Uh, they've played six guys most of the year. Uh, there there needs to be uh, more players that, that get a chance to rotate in there. And understanding that there, there's a lot of young guys right now that are just not not ready to go, which is fine. But uh, you know, big part of the offensive line is you know recruiting, you know, talented guys. But also develop, developing them to a point where they're, they're going to help you, uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, and that doesn't mean true freshmen come in and play immediately, but over the course, I mean, I, I think college football players in general are more ready to play nowadays than they have been, uh, when they first get to campus because of the personalized training they have and the way they take care of their bodies and, and all that kind of stuff. So just because, you know, it's, been an unwritten rule that true freshmen don't play on the offensive line a whole lot doesn't mean it can't happen and you know it's Purdue's job to find players like that that can that can help them immediately and if you can find an offensive lineman uh, that can do that then um, th- then you, you got to do everything you can to to get them and 
you know, and I, and I think, uh, you know, again, I think looking at what the structure is at the offensive line and how it's, how the coaching staff is put together, you know, I think it, it's, it's wise to, to have a more, um, in-depth look at what's, what's going on there and how, how can that be better? And I, and I think that's the big part. I think it can be better. Um, I think it needs to be better. Uh, but we'll, we'll Jeff take the steps for, for those things to happen. Again, encourage, encourage your questions, uh, and comments, uh, either through email or, uh, or in the DM Twitter machine. I'm more than happy to try to get to these in a more timely fashion, but, um, things don't always work out when you're recording podcasts, driving a vehicle. Uh, right now I'm sitting down and I'm able to, to look at the questions a little bit more clearly. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll, uh, uh, be back with another podcast later in the week to, uh, to look at basketball as they get ready for their, uh, big tournament in Connecticut against North Carolina and then either Villanova or Tennessee. Thanks for stopping by. Have a good day.